Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together in this place on this day, the Lord's Day, to worship you in truth and spirit. We pray, Father, that you would forgive us of our many sins, for we know that we are sinners in need of grace each and every day. We come before you, Father, praying that you would be pleased to meet with us by your Spirit, for we know that unless your Spirit comes, all is vain. So we cry out to you, Father, to send your Spirit to do that work which only He can do. We pray, Father, that you would teach us this day by your Spirit. For we know that He is the one that is able to give us insight into in Scripture. And we pray, Father, that as we look at this passage today, that we might have understanding to be able to not only understand the Word, but more importantly, apply your truth to our lives so that we might be pleasing in your sight. We pray, Father, for our country. We know that we are a country that is sinful, a country that has turned away from the living God. And we know this by the violence that we have seen in recent days. And we pray, Father, that you would bring about an awakening in our day. Forgive us as a nation for our sinfulness, the many sins that we commit against your holy word. And we cry out to you, Father, that you would turn people away from their sin, turn them to repentance so that they may trust in Christ and evil would come to an end. How we pray, Father, that we would learn from what we see in this passage today about evil, how it destroys, how it brings death. Teach us, Father, so that we might flee from evil to Christ. We pray, Father, for those that are unable to be with us today. You know their reasons and their needs, and we pray that you would meet them and work in their life, Father. We pray that they might be able to join us soon. We continue to pray that you would be pleased to bring about an end to this plague of our day, that you would cease the virus, that you would bring about a cure for it. Teach us through this, Father, that you are a sovereign God, that you control all things. Protect us as only you can. We continue to pray, Father, for the salvation of your people throughout the world. Even as the gospel is proclaimed today, we pray that many would come into your kingdom. We thank you, Father, for the salvation that is offered so freely to all. And we pray that hearts would be changed and many would come to Christ, even in this place today. All of this we pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me again to Mark chapter 14. And we'll begin reading where we left off last week with verse 10. Mark chapter 14 beginning with verse 10 through 21. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. So when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may, that you may eat the Passover? So he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. And wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher said, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared, there make ready for us. And his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Surely I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and said to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? Then he answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written to him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. During World War II, Corey Ten Boone's family helped Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust. They probably saved over 800 lives in hiding those Jews from the Nazis. On February the 28th, 1944, a Dutch informant told the Nazis of the Corey Ten Boone's activity and the Gesto kept the house under surveillance. By the end of the day, 35 people were arrested, including Corey Ten Boone's family. They thoroughly searched the house, but never did find the six Jews safely hidden in the hiding place. The six stayed there in that cramped quarter for nearly three days before they were rescued by Dutch underground. All of Corey Ten Boone's was family was incarcerated. Her 84-year-old father soon died in prison. Corey and her sister Betsy were remanded to one of the most notorious consecration camps near Berlin. And if you read the story, you know that Betsy died after about a year. Twelve days after her death, Corey was released for reasons completely unknown. You would call the Dutch informant a Judas because he betrayed one of his own countrymen in turning in the Corey Ten Boone family. No one, at least I hope no one that knows the story, names their son Judas. How would you dare name a son Judas, knowing what Judas did to Jesus. As Jesus said, Woe to him that by that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed, it would be good for that man if he had never been born. In these verses, we have just the opposite of what we looked at last week. Last week, we saw a woman show pure love to Jesus by pouring her expensive perfume on the head of Jesus. This week, we're looking at pure evil, where Judas betrays the Son of God. One thing they do have in common, they are both remembered. The woman for her love and Judas for his betrayal and hatred. As I've often stated, there is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. 
You either love Him or you hate Him. Now, many would say they do not hate Jesus Christ, but if they do not love Him, they hate Him according to what Scripture teaches us. Of course, they might not show their hatred like Judas showed his hatred unless the opportunity to express their hatred arises. This past week in Minnesota, we've seen evidence of what I'm talking about. Many of those protesters protesting the death of George Floyd had the right to do so. But then they began to destroy buildings, cars, stealing from stores, and on and on I could go. Their governor was right when he said yesterday, there is no, it is no longer about George Floyd. Last night was a mockery of pretending this was about George Floyd's death and his iniquities. These people want nothing more than to entice conflict. Those that did such things do not love Jesus Christ. They love themselves. And they hate God and they hate God's law. And this is evident in their action. And there were those even who gathered together to protest in Jackson. Again, there's nothing wrong with protesting against injustice. But my question is, when are people in Jackson going to get upset over the senseless murders that have taken place? When a five-year-old girl in April was shot in an apartment complex because there was a shootout, when are we going to hear an outcry from the people over something like that? When are there going to be protests in the street over something like that? There's not. And you see the hypocrisy in people. And you see how wicked people can be when they look for an opportunity to destroy and kill. Judas did not love Jesus. He loved himself and it was evident in what he did. And there's a lot of people who protested that did not know or even love George Floyd. But they continued to act as their very nature reveals depraved. There was a price on Jesus' head. We see that in John eleven fifty seven. It says the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. And that's part of the reason why we see in this particular chapter in these verses that we read that it was a secrecy where the upper room was going to be and where they were going to meet and have the meal so that it would not leak out and Jesus would be arrested prematurely. Judas saw the opportunity to make some money. He was probably still upset over what had happened with the expensive perfume. He was the one that said, as we see, that could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. Of course, he didn't care for the poor. He just wanted the money in the bag so that he could steal from the bag as he had already done previously. And of course, what this woman did probably was the straw that broke the camel's back for him. He had had enough. He had followed Jesus for three years. Jesus had not done what he thought he should have done. So therefore, it was time for him to seek to push Jesus into doing what he desired for Jesus to do as far as rebellion against the Roman government and religious leaders. We, he may have thought that he could force Jesus into being 
the king that he wanted. He was so self-centered and he desired only his worldly selfish ambitions. It's one thing for sure that he was doing exactly what Satan desired for him to do. So Judas' actions fills our minds with many questions. Some of the questions really cannot be answered on this side of heaven. But his actions revealed that he was a depraved human being, as well as shows how God uses wickedness to accomplish his purpose and bring glory to himself. The amazing thing that we see in this passage is how God overrules evil to bring about the salvation of his people. God allows evil to come about, but he's able to bring something wonderful out of evil. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. First of all, I want us to look at the unexpected nature of evil. There in verse 10 and 11, we see the unexpected nature of evil. When Judas, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. So when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Evil is very difficult to understand. It's difficult for the human mind to thoroughly grasp. We understand goodness somewhat. But when it comes to evil, we have a tendency to scratch our head and wonder what in the world is going on. I mean, again, you cannot help but look at all that has transpired since the death of George Floyd and scratch your head and say, what in the world is going on? Not only there in Minnesota, but in all our major cities, there's riots going on. They're tearing up buildings. I heard this morning where they attempted to burn down Nashville Courthouse, which has been there for hundreds of years. Why? Why do the things that people are doing? Why so much evil? Why does a, people act, why does a person act just the opposite from God? Why do they act like the devil? Well, what is their reasoning behind their actions? Even the lost, unconverted people see such behavior as foolishness, and rightly so. I mean, likewise, here we have Judas. He's been with Jesus for three years. He was a part of what we could say the inner circle, the family of disciples. Jesus had shown him love. Jesus had shown him kindness time and time again. So why in the world would Judas betray Jesus? Why would he seek to treat Jesus in this manner? How in the world could Judas hate Jesus to such an extent to turn him over to those who he knew would put him to death? Jesus was not a mere man. He was the Son of God, the most loving human being ever to exist, perfect in all His ways, holy, sinless, loving, kind, merciful, generous, long-suffering, and patient. How in the world can anyone hate that kind of person? See, evil 
is really unexpected and unnatural. It is unnatural to hate that kind of person, a perfect person in every way. Dr. Doug Kelly states three characteristics about evil that I want us to look at and think about so that we might be able to grasp this teaching. First, evil hates love and it revolts against the most attractive beauty. Songs of Solomon describes Jesus in this manner. The rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, bright and morning star, fairest of 10,000. Psalms 45, 2 says, Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into my lips, thy lips. Therefore God has blessed thee forever. The more you study about Christ, the more lovely he becomes. The more you study about Christ, the more you want to know of his loveliness, his beauty, his holiness, his attractiveness. The song that we learned as children is so true. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. If you know Jesus in a personal way, then you understand that song and you desire to know Jesus in a more intimate way. So this is what makes it so difficult to grasp. Evil finds beauty absolutely revolting. And therefore it wants to destroy beauty. That's why it is so unnatural, ungodly. It is totally opposite from the character of God. That's why God will have nothing whatsoever to do with sin. Nothing whatsoever to do with evil. Why would anyone write graffiti on a church building and then set it on fire? You scratch your head again. And you say, how in the world can someone be so evil? So wicked? The only explanation is that God is love and good and He created good and builds up it good and loves it. But the devil is bad. He's evil. He hates all goodness. And everywhere we see everything that he sees that is good, he detests it. And he seeks to destroy it. The Word of God tells us that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar, a destroyer. He hates all that is good. And there is no one as good as Jesus Christ. Therefore, he hates Christ more than anyone else. And he tried to trump Christ there in heaven. And of course, we know he fell and became the leader of one-third of the angels that became demons. If I was to ask, who would you rather be like? Judas or the woman that we studied last week? I think everyone here would say the woman who showed her love in a marvelous way. No one wants to act like Judas, right? 
I mean, anyone want to raise your hand and say, oh yeah, I'd love to follow Judas. I'd love to be like Jesus. I'd, Judas, I'd love to be a betrayer. But the truth is, there are many just like Judas. We see this every day in the news and sometimes even in our own home. We or others in the home may act like the devil at some times. We act like the devil more often than we do God, right? Would you not admit that? If you're unwilling to admit that, I think you better do an inventory of your own life. We're sinners. We sin every day against God. And when we sin, we act like the devil. We have to repent of it and seek God. So we see quite clearly that evil sin is unnatural. Second, Dr. Kelly says that evil prefers a toy to the real thing. Judas preferred what over Jesus? He preferred money. It's quite clear in the passage we read just a moment ago. Paul points out the love of money is the root of all evil. Judas allowed money to consume his mind. He preferred it over having a true relationship with God. He rejected the best for a toy. You've heard this before. C.S. Lewis makes this statement. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. How true that is. We are far too easily pleased with the toys of this world. Judas preferred a mere toy, money, over eternal life with Jesus Christ. Now that's so strange. That's so unnatural. But Paul tells us about that in, in Romans chapter 1, passage that we're quite familiar with. In verse 25, he says, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. So Paul makes it very clear to us that many love the things that God made rather than God who made them. Now, loving those things brings about bad results. And Paul continues, and he points out the bad results, beginning there in verse 26 and thereafter. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passion, for even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burn with lust for other men, with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even if they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased minds to do things which are not fitting, 
being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent pride, boastful, invitator of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, un trustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know the righteousness judgment of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but also prove to those who practice them. That's what happens when a person loves things instead of God. Paul is pointing out very clearly to us that God will turn a person over to his depraved condition if he seeks things instead of God. There is nothing worse than being turned over to your own sins. And many people have destroyed their life. We see it in Scripture as well, in history itself. In Scripture we see many who loved money all the way back to Cain and then Achan, and then Jezhazai, uh, Elijah's servant, and Ahab, and Jezebel, and Ananias, and Sapphira, and Demas, and, and Judas, and others in Scripture who loved money more than Christ. None of those things God has created can bring real happiness. Though they may be good in their rightful place, don't misunderstand me, all of them become mere toys and even vicious if we use them to separate us from God. And these toys can be the very thing that destroy us if they become our God and they will literally squeeze the life out of us. Dan Brandon, 31 years old, thought tiny his Eight-foot Thipon was his pet. He called him his baby. I'm not going to elaborate on that. But when his mother heard a thump, this boy is still living at home. That I'll tell you something at 31. She went to his room and she discovered that Tiny wasn't harmless but deadly. Had literally squeezed a life out of its owner. A toy. Even a valid gift can take the place of God, can literally turn into a python that can ultimately squeeze the life out of you. Evil is able to deceive us to death. Thirdly, evil is suicidal. To betray God is to be embrace death, is to embrace hell. Proverbs 8.36 says, All they that hate me love death. And this not only happened to Judas, but continues to happen even today. We know that we live in a culture that has turned away from God, rebelled against God. And the more this nation hates God, the more it loves death. 
Why is abortion legalized? Because people love death. They don't love the unborn. They love their freedom to have sex and have no responsibility when it brings about a child. So therefore, just murder the child. Be convenient. Why didn't we have 82 murders in Jackson last year? I mean, that's every week of the year. More than one murder every week. How many people are killed in an action-packed movie and that's our entertainment? What ultimately happened to Judas? He took his own life. Now, I'll discuss that a little bit later in the next point. I read this. In 2010, American Department of Health and Human Services set a goal to reduce the suicide rate from 12.1 to 10.2, 100,000 population by 2020. Instead of falling, the rate has climbed. On January the 30th, the Center of Disease and Control Prevention reported that more than 48,000 Americans had taken their own life in 2018 equivalent to 14.2 deaths per 100,000. This makes suicide the 10th biggest cause of death in America, deadlier than traffic accidents and homicides. Evil is suicidal. And our government will not be able to stop it because it's a spiritual issue. Now, the second main point is that God is in charge of evil because He is in charge of all things. And here Jesus shows His divine nature in two different ways revealed in verses 12 through 18. First, in telling the two disciples to go into the city and they will find a man carrying a pitcher and that man will lead them to the place where they will have their Passover. I mean, think about it. Jerusalem at this particular time had over a million people there for the Passover. And they're going to go in the city and they're going to find a man and that man's going to guide them to the place where they're going to have their meal. How did Jesus know that? Well, He knows all things in His divine state, in His divine nature. And He tells them, when you see this man carrying a pitcher of water, now it would be a man because who normally carried a pitcher of water? Women, this is not degrading you, but you were the ones that normally carried the water in that day. So it's very unusual. So therefore, they went into the city looking for a man carrying a pitcher of water. And that man also would be looking for them. And he leads them to the house where the master showed them where they would be able to have this meal. So Jesus demonstrates his divine knowledge. Children, that is called omniscience. Omniscience, that means that God knows all things. Jesus Christ in His divine nature knew all things. Now, He's also all-powerful. Now, what is that word? Well, that's a very important word. Not omniscience, but omnipotence. That means controlling all things. He's all-powerful and controls all things. He's in charge of all things. Jesus was in charge That's why He told the disciples to do this and do that and they would have 
the particular meal. The scripture teaches us that not even a sparrow, the smallest of birds, can fall to the ground without God ordaining it. It doesn't happen by accident. God controls that bird that falls to the ground. He also teaches us that He knows how many hairs are on your head. I mean, we don't even know that, but God knows that. He knows how many hairs are on your head and my head. That's how great God is, children. That's a great God, isn't it? So that's why it's good to uh, sing, our God is great, because He is a great God. And it's mind-boggling. We cannot comprehend it. I mean, there are nearly 8 billion people on this earth, and God knows all the hairs on every one of their head. God knows every thought that they are having at this very moment. Now, that I just cannot explain that, and I, and I don't even try to. All I do is accept it. Because the scripture teaches it. And it reveals to us that God knows all things. I I don't even know my own thoughts. Much less nearly 8 billion people's thoughts. But God does. Now, one thing about that, that is so comforting. That God knows everybody's thoughts. God knows what this person's going to do. God knows the evil actions of that person. And God can even control it. And we see it in this particular passage. That all things, good and bad, are under God's control to bring about His ordained purposes. And this is why this man would be at the right place, at the right time to lead the disciples to the upper room. God was in control. Second, we see that Jesus knew exactly what Judas had done and what Jesus was going to do. Jesus had already mentioned this earlier in, in chapter 10, verse 33. He said, I must go to Jerusalem and there I will be arrested. I will be delivered over. Who was going to deliver him? Well, he knew Judas was going to deliver him over to the authorities. So therefore, God was in control including evil, the even the evil actions of Judas. Now let me explain this a little bit more. Judas hated Christ. It's revealed. And that's why he betrayed him. And God controlled Judas's evil actions. Now what I mean by that? Well, this, this is a mystery to one extent when it comes to our mind. But yet the Scripture reveals to us how this all came about and how God was in control of this. In Acts chapter uh, 2, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, in verse 25, it says, Who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why did the nations rage? Why did the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth stood their ground, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, went the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined for to be done. So in other words, all the wicked to gather together after the Passover to put Jesus to death were gathered, what does the Scriptures tell us here? Was gathered by the hand, your hand, God's hand, your purpose determined before to be done. So we see that God had determined all the things that were to be done. 
So it reveals to us that God determined it, but it does not say that God approved of evil. He is often overruling evil to bring about good. God is nothing but holy, good, and kind. And in no way would He ever approve of evil. Now I want you to get that in your mind. That God would never ever approve of evil. But yet He uses evil to bring good about. And that's what He does in this particular situation to bring about His purpose into the world. And that's the mystery. God says... It is evil to rebel against Him. And wanting to kill Jesus Christ and reject His authority, this comes from the devil, man and his depravity. The greatest display of evil was when Satan stirred up the Jews and the Gentiles and the religious leaders and others to kill the Son of God in the flesh. But when we are told that God's counsel planned the death of Jesus Christ to bring about the redemption of His people in the world. So God was the one that planned it all, but yet they carried out their evil deeds. And we see that this is even clearer in Acts chapter 2 when Peter gets up to preach there. And he says in Acts chapter 2 verse 23, Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, of course, Him is Jesus, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. So therefore, they did it, but yet it was determined by God's counsel and foreknowledge of God that they would do it. God controlled their wickedness. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was condemned and he was put to death. All done exactly according to God's plan, but yet it was done by wicked men and wicked hands. That's the mystery. God had nothing to do with it as far as moving them to do this. They did it on their own, quote, wicked will. If you want to call it free will, that's fine. But it was wicked. Because when man has free will, he does what is wicked. We don't have free will anymore. The only one that had free will was Adam and Eve there in the garden, and they lost that free will because they sinned. So now it's what? The bondage of the will. So man does his bondage, his wickedness, his evil things, and God oversees it. Judas made that choice. God did not make it for him. Judas did exactly what his wicked heart desired to do and God used it to bring about the ordination or the ordained plan that he had made. But we see that Judas even lied about that. What do we we see there in that passage there in, in Mark? That each one of them began to ask the question, Is it I? That means it included Judas in that. Judas knew good and well it was him. And what did he say? Oh, is it I? I mean, you've seen that in your own family sometimes. All right, now who did this? Well, you think I did it? No, I didn't do that. Lying, you know, just like Judas did here. Lying, covering it up. 
Sinclair Ferguson said, Judas too apparently used these words. Perhaps that was the reason Jesus spoke so sternly about the terrible responsibility he would bear. It would have been better that he had never been born. Now again, listen to me. God never encourages anyone to do evil. Never. God never makes a bad choice for us. If we do something wrong, it's us. It's us doing it, not God. But yet God overrules our sinful, bad behavior, our bad choices, and He can bring good about. R.C. Sproul says, the one of the twelve is able to turn his back on Jesus tells us there would be no perfect church this side of heaven. After all, if one who saw Jesus with his own eyes was able to betray him, we cannot be surprised when professing Christians who have not seen Jesus betray him. Judas's betrayal warns us that even though who seen closest to the Lord may not really love Him. And it encourages us to beware of sin lest we also go astray. How true that is. How many times have you heard or seen someone who you thought was the closest to the Lord turn and betray Jesus by His sinful behavior? Final point. What are the costs of doing evil? There in verse 21, the latter part, it says it would have been better, it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Jesus often used the word woe when he does in that passage. He says, woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. He used that word woe many times to religious leaders. And then he spoke about the judgment that was coming. We see that in Acts chapter, chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, beginning there in verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples... And said, Brethren and men, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became the guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and obtained a part in this ministry. But this man purchased the field with the wages of his iniquity and fell headlong. He burst it open in the middle. All his entails gushed out. And it became known to all who dwelt in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, Ekadama, that his field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, let his inhabitation be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. So we see that Judas was paid for what he did and he purchased The money, he of course tried to give it back, but it was blood money and they purchased the field with that money and there Judas was buried. 
the question that sometimes comes to the minds of people and is asked, would Jesus have forgiven Judas if he would have repented? Would Jesus have forgiven Judas if he would have repented? Of course he would have. Just as he forgave Peter who denied him three times, just as he forgave all the other disciples that deserted him on that night there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus never refuses to forgive anyone who truly repents, who truly asks for forgiveness on any grounds of any sin. If they humble themselves and truthfully, biblically ask for forgiveness, the Scriptures tells us in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You may ask the question, but what about the unpardonable sin? The sin against the Holy Spirit. Well, the sin against the Holy Spirit means that you're unwilling to admit that you need forgiveness, so therefore you don't seek forgiveness. So if you don't seek forgiveness, you're not going to receive forgiveness. Those who sin against the Holy Spirit don't ask for forgiveness. And Judas would fit into that category. He took his own life by hanging himself because he did not believe that there was any forgiveness left for him. He was full of guilt. And he was a guilty man. But a guilty man can come to Christ for forgiveness. And Judas was unwilling to come to Christ for forgiveness because of his mindset. He was unwilling. He had turned his back on Christ because he was filled with evil. He was controlled by Satan. Look with me at Luke chapter 23 in the parallel passage. Luke 23 beginning in verse 3, 22 verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas, surname Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they gave him glad, and they were glad and greeted to give, and agreed to give him money. Then he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So we see that he was filled with evil, filled with Satan. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. St. Clair Ferguson says, Judas Judas's later suicide indicates that he realized this, but it was too late. His eyes were opened to the terrible crime he had committed, and he died in utter despair. But as Jesus' last plea and warning were issued, Judas was both blind and deaf to this tone, overtone, turn, overtones. 
even though our Lord warned him of terrible consequences of his sin, his heart seems to have remained unmoved. We must remember that sin deceives us as well as hardens the heart, leading sinners to ignore the last amber of light given so that they might repent. And like Judas, if we come to yield to sin, it becomes our master. And we no longer free or we are able to choose the moment when we are able to engage in mutiny of grace and overthrow it influence on us. As Ferguson says, at first Judas would not repent. Eventually, he could not repent. He was like Esau in Hebrews where it says that Esau likewise could not repent. John Owen states that Esau is a clear example of the truth that no one knows where deliberate sin may lead. Do you hear that? That's why we are not to play with sin. No one knows where deliberate sin may lead. Sproul says, unrepentant, deliberate sin should cause us to question whether we are saved at all If you are engaged in such sin, repent today and trust in Christ alone to be saved. Then find some fellow Christian to hold you accountable. We need to realize that salvation is only one cry away. If you have denied Jesus Christ, if you have betrayed Him, All you have to do is cry out to Him in repentance and in faith. You you may have committed all of those sins that I mentioned a while ago there in Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. But the Scriptures teach us that Jesus Christ is able to cleanse you from all of them, to make you pure, to make you holy, able to make you righteous in the sight of God. If we confess our sins, He is just and faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the Scripture teaches us. Why would anyone remain in their sin when there is such a free offer of forgiveness and cleansing? Remember that it is only when we look back are we able to see the hand of God work in evil to bring about good. And the good that I'm speaking of is our salvation. Looking back is when we understand how God is able to bring about good in our life, bring about our life to a pleasing sight in His, in His sight to where He sets us free from sin and makes us His holy child. In closing, let me share with you Charles Spurgeon evening devotion from last night. It said that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 6, 6. Christian, what has thou to do with sin? Has not it cost you enough already? 
burnt child, will you play with fire? What? When you've already been between the jaw of the lion, will you step back into the den? Have you not had enough of the old serpent? Did he not poison you of all your veins once? And will you play at the hole of the asp and put your hand upon the serpent's den a second time? Oh, be not so mad, so foolish. Did sin ever yield you real pleasure? Did you find solid satisfaction in it? If so, go back to the old ways and wear the chains again. If it delights you, but inasmuch so sin did never give you what it promised to bestow, but deluded you with lies. Be not a second time snared by the old fowler. Be set free. Let the remembrance of your ancient bondage forbid thee to enter into the net again. It is contrary to the design of eternal lie, love which all have an eye to thy purity and holiness. Therefore run not counter to the purposes of the Lord. Another thought should restrain us from sin. Christian, can you ever sin cheaply? They pay a heavy price for iniquity. Transgressions destroy peace of mind. Obscure fellowship with Jesus. Hinder prayers. Bring darkness over the soul. Therefore be not the bondman of sin. There is yet even a higher argument. Each time you serve sin, you have crucified the Lord afresh and put Him to open shame. Can you bear that thought? Oh, if you have fallen into any special sin during the day, it may be my Master has sent this abomination, abomination this evening to bring you back before you have backslidden even further. Turn thee to Jesus anew. He has not forgotten His love for you. His grace is still the same. With weeping and repentance, come to His footstool. You shall be once more received in His heart. You shall be set upon the rock again, and your path shall be established. May we go to Jesus and find grace. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you that you are a merciful and gracious God, that you will give true salvation to all who repent and seek forgiveness. We thank you, Father, that you are a God that is in control of all things, even, even that which is evil, and that you are able to bring good out of all circumstances. And we pray, Father, that you would use us to bring honor and glory to your name in all that we say and do. Keep us from backsliding. Keep us from being a Judas and betraying you in any way whatsoever. And use us for your glory. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.